Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Lizzie, if you could just take a moment and close your eyes and set your intentions. (sighs) I intend to get to the bottom of some shit. (laughs) I intend to make Roger Cumble answer to some shit. Oh my God, Lizzie. I I almost feel bad that you and Lee had to watch this for the first time. (laughs) Um, Before we get into how you guys feel about it, uh, we just want to say thank you so much to our beautiful patrons over at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. We have multiple tiers over at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. You can get some cool perks like voting for episodes on our main feed, like stickers, like advance notice of what episodes we're doing before we post them and other fun shit. And if that interests you, come and find us. And if not, totally cool. We appreciate you for listening to one of the most unhinged episodes that we'll ever do. And this is an episode chosen by our highest tier patrons. That's right. They voted on this. They wanted this movie. And I I don't know what I I don't know what I thought they'd pick, but I was pleasantly surprised. And then I remembered that I had to watch this movie and like pick it apart. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. (laughs) You're like, let me uh, crack my knuckles, my neck, get down to brass tacks. Because this isn't like Scooby-Doo unhinged. This is like, wait, what the fuck? This is like insane asylum. This is like when people say that they eat their own hair. (laughs) This is like question marks next to exclamation points. Yeah. Like I said, it was the first time both of you, Lizzie and our producer Lee, had seen the film. So what do you think about it? I'd like Lee to go first. It's deranged. Uh, I was watching it with my partner and she was actually the one who was like, this sounds like a fanfic. And yeah, it like makes sense. I guess this is kind of what fanfic writing is. Yes. It's very <laughs> debaucherous. It's very um, self-indulgent. Like yeah. anything that can happen will happen in fan fiction. Yeah. And that's exactly what this movie feels like. They explore like every combination of people having sex together. And being jealous and manipulating. Mm. I wrote in my notes, like, this is if a fan fiction in the first three minutes of a porn got together and had a baby. Like it's all the buildup and all the confusion and like so much sexual tension. It almost like neutralizes itself. Yeah. <laughs> and how sexy it is. It like comes full circle and becomes unsexy again. Yeah. In some ways. Their sensuality almost means nothing because they're so over sexual. They're talking about like the weather or like reading a newspaper <laughs> and then like rubbing each other's nipples. Like it's like <laughs> you have to have like some downtime in order for the uptime to be like worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so why are we talking about this movie today, Lizzie? Can you guess? Well, our patrons, like, have feelings. (laughs) Our patrons demanded it. Now, why are we talking about it? Well, the one thing I knew about this movie before I'd seen it, because you're right, I saw this yesterday for the first time, and but the scene that I'd always heard about, like, that's in the cultural canon, is this scene where Selma Blair is taught by Buffy Summers how to kiss. Yes. But that is not even sort of worth even barely talking about at this point when the rest of this movie exists. It's such almost like a sweet part of the movie to pick out and be like enthralled by because so much more of it is just batshit crazy. It's one of the most straightforward scenes 
Where it's like, okay, this is just like a direct... It's not even like Sarah Michelle Gellar's character is trying to like pull one over on Selma Blair. Yeah. She's just like genuinely teaching her how to make out. Yeah, she's like, oh, wait, before we go any further with me trying to ruin your life, you don't know how to kiss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a nice thing she actually does for her. Yeah, it's one of the like least weirdly mo- motivated acts right. that this character performs. I, and I thought that this film was going to like lead up to this scene, but it happens very swiftly in the first act. So quickly into the first act, it's almost insane. So as you're saying, Lizzie, yes, the kiss is iconic, but there's so much more that you can pick apart with this film. And a lot of the subtext, I think, can appear like overt text, but you kind of take for granted, as you're saying, how sexual it is, but it creates a stage for sexuality and like playfulness and intrigue and it brings that right to the front and that allows the characters to speak and act more freely and outside of typical heteronormative standards and I think that's why this feels a little bit different than all the other adaptions that were strictly heteronormative and strictly the the shock factor was just how much sex they were having. So I saw in the opening titles this was based off of a French novel but you're saying there's other versions of that novel that were done? No, the, um, all the adaptations are based off of the French novel, um, Dangerous Liaisons or Les Liaisons Dangerous. I don't know. <laughs> that was very, great. Thank you. I'm very bad at French. It was written originally in 1782. No shit. Mm-hmm, by a French man that I can't even begin. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I would just just look it up. <laughs> uh, so the story follows wealthy aristocrats engaged in a malicious bet involving sexual conquests, revenge, manipulation, seduction, and love in the sophisticated and decadent atmosphere of 18th century pre-revolutionary French high society. So literally not much has changed. <laughs> because probably like most books written in that time period, all the sex happens off screen, which is like this fucking movie is such a tease. Mm-hmm. But one like one of the things that happens is like people barely touch on screen, or I guess when they are, they're like teasing each other. But there's no like actual acts being committed. Yeah, they they talk more. They say more about the sexual acts than they show you. Yes, which almost feels more explicit to me. The fact that these teenagers are saying it so plainly out loud. Yeah, I'm like, ooh, so much insinuations. Yeah, yeah, they they use their words a lot. This is like a very dirty mouth film. Mm-hmm. So this novel has been adapted hundreds upon hundreds of times. What? Not even just stage. There's film, television, radio, operas. It's been adapted so many times. And some of the notable adaptations include probably the most popular stage adaptation, which was adapted by Christopher Hampton in 1985. It was performed by the Shakespeare Company and then on Broadway. And it starred Alan Rickman as Valmont or Sebastian. No. Yeah. What? What? Can you imagine? I mean, I find him incredibly seductive. Mm -hmm. And it was just his birthday. And I was just thinking about how attractive Snape is and trying to figure out why, but not really putting too much thought into it. But, you know... I appreciate that. Yeah. And that stage adaptation went on to serve as inspiration for the 1988 film starring Glenn Close as Catherine. Mm. So that's Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. John Malkovich as Sebastian. What? Michelle Pfeiffer as Annette Hargrove and Uma Thurman as Cecile, as well as Keanu Reeves as Ronald, the music tutor. (laughs) I will say the casting for Cruel Intentions feels more on par to me. Well, I guess these are just like 
all the sex icons of that of that time and generation. Mm-hmm. But because Ryan Philippe is like really, really conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. but John Malkovich and Alan Rickman are not. So it's interesting to think about casting someone who's a little more bold looking or in that role than like just like a super hot blonde guy. Yeah. Also, their presence has to, especially on the stage, be mm. like highly sexual and like have insane chemistry with everyone because they're all fucking each other, like you're saying. So right. it's not just chemistry with one person. It's like plenty of people. And our adaptation appears to be the first, I could be wrong, but it appears to be the first to modernize the plot to present day hmm. and casting teenagers and also shifting the relationship of our main characters, Catherine and Sebastian. In in the play, they're just ex-lovers. Mm. But in this adaptation, they're step-siblings. Why, why would you do that? That was one of Leah's the- Leah's losing it over there. <laughs> that's- where shit started to go real, real wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, it... So, like, if you make two highly sexual people want to fuck each other, but then you intentionally put them in the same house by making them family, mm-hmm. like, did he make them step-siblings just to, like, satisfy this, like, idea of place? Like, oh, they need to always be in the same house at the same time. So mm. they're, let's try step-siblings. Yeah. Or is that like an element of the attraction? I think there's taboo uh, to be considered, like when you want to produce something very titillating, um, people are attracted to taboo. And it's not, they're not full-blown siblings, which would obviously just never be funded or produced or shot. So it's, like you're saying, it probably is like an economy of space forcing these two people together, but it also probably serves like this sort of fantasy. But it's gross. It is gross. I'm sorry. If someone marries into your family, they are your family. Like Clueless, I'm like, no, I'm not feeling Clueless Paul Rudd, well, yeah. Alicia Silverstone. I'm just, your family. You mm-hmm. go to Christmas together, you see each other like in Christmas underwear mm-hmm. and like, Morning after New Year's Eve, no. I completely agree with you. I think that was a lot of people's issue uh, initially when this film was released. That's just the first hurdle you have to get over before you start this weird shit. Yeah, that's scene one. Yes. It's like, get over that real quick because the train is taken off. Yeah, right. Keep up. Uh, so this adaptation was written by the director, Roger Cumble, who this is his directorial debut. What? Yeah. And he went on to direct The Sweetest Thing in 2002. Another unhinged sexual film. And one of Lizzie's favorites in 2005, Just Friends. Oh. Which is also unhinged. Unhinged. (laughs) Is Roger Cumble okay? No. He's not a normal guy. Or either (laughs) that he's from, like, Ohio and he's, like, was so normal his whole life that he had to, like, retaliate by making, like, the freakiest, weirdest shit that you can imagine. The, but still mainstream. Somehow he still keeps it mainstream. Yeah, I guess you have to remember that the original novel being written in 1782, being adapted so many times till now, uh, you still kind of want that X factor, that thing that like titillates your audience. I keep using that word and I hate that it word. It is titillating. But, but I think that's really what you have to do to make this story have the punch that it was designed to have it was supposed to like cross sexual lines. boxes it was oh it did <laughs> it, it was going places it should not go do not enter it was like i'm here anyway yeah and i think that that intrigue has lasted it's still part of the film staying power i know i don't know a lot of people who love this movie but i know everybody who's seen this film has a lot of strong feelings 
towards it. That's true. Like, if you're going to make a film, we've talked about this before. Like, if you're going to make choices, you can make really mid-choices that could be pretty forgettable, but more forgivable to an audience. Or you can just, like, go batshit crazy and have people either love it or hate it. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know the critical reception of this film, but I can imagine it's probably pretty divisive. Yeah. And that being said, like, I don't... I think I would watch this film again because it was really so puzzling. Yeah, I think I would rather have a film that's sexual and complex than, like, just porn with no layers. Right. This uh, was, like, all layers and not enough porn. All layers. <laughs> Roger Cumble did a great job with the casting as well. I, he caught these teen actors at the either the be very beginning of their career or the height of their popularity. Um, for instance, this film really launched Selma Blair into the spotlight. And Ryan Phillippe had just come off of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm -hmm. And then Reese Witherspoon had just done Fear in 1996, followed by Pleasantville in 1998. And then this film in 1999 also came out the same year as Election, which would really solidify oh, yeah. her as like an acting powerhouse. For sure. So great. This was a great year for Reese Witherspoon. And this was a fantastic year for Sarah Michelle Geller. If you guys don't know this, I am the biggest Sarah Michelle Gellar fan. I'm the hugest Buffy fan. And it's crazy. They caught her at this like moment in this like meteoric rise that she was having at the time. So this in 1997, she landed Buffy and I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream 2. Damn. All the same year. That was she was manifesting some stuff. And previously she had no like real starring roles under her belt. So it was like all at once, those three films, which were like massive franchises. And then she would continue to do this film. And then after this would do Scooby-Doo. So she was fucking getting her bag. That bitch is rich. So rich. And just to give you guys, just to set the scene of this film being released in 1999, I want to show you her SNL opening monologue <gasps> from this year. Okay. So in the clip I'm about to show Lizzie and Lee, Sarah Michelle Gellar is hosting SNL and her monologue bit is that everybody in the SNL cast is hitting on her. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Hey, Tim. Oh, hi, Molly. Hey, why don't you uh, leave Sarah alone here and let her finish her monologue? Come on. All right. Um, <laughs> I'll catch you later, sweetie. <laughs> Married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saving me, Molly. No problem. The guys around here can be really creepy sometimes. They don't know how to treat a lady. Tell me about it. I know. Sometimes it takes a lady to really know how to understand another lady, you know? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, maybe after the show, if you want, we could just, like, blow off the party and maybe go somewhere quiet and get a drink and talk a little bit if you want. Uh, Molly, I, I, I don't like you like that. Oh, really? Oh, that's really funny. Because I saw you making out with that girl in that movie that you did, and if I'm not mistaken, it looked like you liked it, lady! All of these stars are as hot as they can be, and they kind of have to be to pull off this movie. Why does Selma Blair act like that the whole film? <laughs> okay, the age differential between these characters is really confusing. Like, mm -hmm. is Selma Blair the same age as Buffy and Ryan Philippe? Because she acts like a toddler sometimes. But she's obviously, like, basically a grown woman. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And we could get into that a little bit when we see how she falls in society with Mm -hmm. uh, the Valmonts. But the director, Roger Cumble, was very intentional that he wanted the Valmont siblings to have control over their language that regular teenagers would not have. Right. They're like Cullens. Exactly. And so maybe it's the thought that the juxtaposition with them and like an actual teenager would be important for the audience to see. But Selma Blair is the same age. Like she's not a child. Right. But I think we're just supposed to believe that she's kind of stupid. I mean, I definitely believe that. She acts like very stupid and she's very comical. (laughs) So I was saying like it's all these weird characters that seem like a mashup. Like this seems like a crossover, you know what I mean, between Selma Blair's like – comedy high school like coming of age movie mm-hmm. and then the like vampire sex drama that is the <laughs> Valmonts. Yeah. And like to see them together is just really strange. I found some of Blair's performance to be like borderline infuriatingly confusing because she was <laughs> acting so stupid. But yeah. like all these people were having sex with her. It was like really confusing. I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about the weirdness and the consent around that. But uh, before we do so, let's get into the movie. Well, you can relax. I have a mission for you. Why I plan to wait by Annette Hargrove. Paradigm of chastity and virtue. Introduce her to your world of sex, drugs, and what else do you do? She's young, supple. She'll be my greatest victory. You don't stand a chance. Care to make a wager on that? If I win, then that hot little car of yours, mine. And if I win? I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married. Happy hunting, Sebastian. They really be letting you know right away. They're like, hi, marital incest. And also we have to remember, I don't want to keep talking about porn, but (laughs) there's a case to be made that all of these hyper-sexualized, super tension-filled movies, like I'm thinking of... It's the one with Sharon Stone, the one with Neve Campbell, where they like make out in the pool, wild things. These all came at a time before internet porn did not exist. You had to mm. go and buy tangible porn and then kind of stash it. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that this was like consumer grade kinky shit that yeah. people can go and buy and it was like trivialized, like it was super societally okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, Cruel Intentions had huge stars in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go see it in a theater. You could buy the VHS and watch it at home. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because, like, the choices in the in this film, like, and they probably replicate the original novel, the French novel it was based on, but they feel like a fucking fan fiction or like a mm-hmm. romance novel, or, like, meets a soap opera. Like, it's this very overdramatic over everything, like overstimulated mm-hmm. world where everyone's just like on the edge of orgasm, like constantly. And it's like, that makes more sense knowing that in order to access porn at this time, like you you really had to work for it. Yeah. And it explains why we don't see these films being produced anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you could get one of those steamy uh, books that they sell for women at Barnes & Noble. There's erotica apps now, too. God, 2023, baby. We have so much access. So we start off pretty quick in this movie, understanding that the Valmont siblings are terrible. <laughs> we meet Sebastian, who's played by Ryan Philippi, who makes quick work of manipulating his therapist because she overcharges <laughs> by sleeping with and posting naked photos of his daughter, who's just randomly played by Tara Reid. Yeah, right. <laughs> God, 
they just I feel like there was like a brief moment in history around this time too where like a lot of films included psychoanalysts and therapists mm -hmm. and like getting to know the character mm -hmm. and also yeah oh, yeah exactly but when was the last time you laid down at your therapist's office I could not lay down in therapy that would freak me the fuck out I feel like I'd fall asleep yeah it'd be too vibey like I would fall asleep they wouldn't get me out of there in an hour but yeah the humor in this film is like kind of the long game and also these there are some like really great witty lines that draw some laughs particularly from ryan philippe i really liked this character i believe it's pronounced philippi philippi and also something about sebastian he just serves cunt yeah well i was kind of like when i first started watching the film well first of all i didn't know you can't really tell with 90s films, like, is this a world where gay people exist or we just kind of, like, ignore gay people completely? So I was viewing the film with the lens that, like, oh, homosexuality is not entered into this film. But then they started, like, making jokes about him being queer because he has a diary. Yeah. And then he has his, like, his, like, minion. I don't even know what to call this person. His, like, friend slash minion who's, like, this gay guy who will just, like, lure in whoever he needs for whatever purpose. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, like, a... Such a sexualized world that, like, even gay people are allowed to be sexual in it. That's funny that you you call his friend Blaine his minion because the character does exist in the novel. His name is Azalon, and he is Sebastian Valmont's valet. And he basically sleeps with all of the, like, chambermaids to get gossip for Sebastian. Dream job. Dream job. But in the novel, he sleeps with only women. So it's nice. They, like, intentionally made this character gay. Um, which I love. But yes, Sebastian is serving cunt. He wears these tiny little suits. He wears these tiny little sunglasses. Yeah, the little sunglasses. We love it. We love to see it. We do. I, his style in this film is like half the character for me. Yeah. And that was also really intentional. And you see more of that intention when they go to the Valmont home, which is the home of Sebastian Valmont, as well as Catherine, who is played by Sarah Michelle Geller. We love her as a brunette. She looks incredible. And she's at home with Bunny Caldwell, who is played by Christine Baranski. I know. Surprise Baranski. We love the surprise Baranski. She's so good. She plays like rich lady bitch so good. Well, her voice just is like that, oh, well, I just don't. Like, she just sounds so expensive. She, she looks does. expensive, too. Mm-hmm. And she is with her daughter, Cecile, who is played by Selma Blair. So you can really see all of the attention that they put into detail, especially in the Valmont home. Yeah. Roger Cummel, the director, worked with the designer and the cinematographer to create an air of classic Parisian interior and clothing. That's why mm -hmm. the Valmonts are always dressed in like suits and corsets. And Roger Cummel said that Although he modernized the story, he intentionally wanted the film to be a period piece of sorts. So that's why they include like classic cars and rotary phones. Letter writing. Letter writing, which the, the original novel is all through letters. Right. No, I loved those touches because it really kind of elevated the film and gave it this style. Because you knew it was the 90s. Like they mm -hmm. had flip phones and stuff. Mm -hmm. But if they could do it analog, they would. And like that she's taking cello lessons and not, yeah. I don't know, like keyboard lessons. Um, but yeah, the costuming of the film really was great. I would only say the piece I wish I could get rid of is the koala bear shirt. Well, that actually serves my point. But, but before I move on to that, I mean, you say that the letter writing, the classic cars, the rotary phones, like played really well. And I think that it works incredibly well with high society because mm -hmm. they always have these old, like almost impractical items. Yes. And it becomes like a flex. 
Yeah. Riding letters and riding horses and like playing polo, those these things that are like so incredibly impractical to do now. It's like a way of saying, like, I have the money to do this shit. And all the extra rooms they have in this house, they have, like, a study and a parlor. A and room like, with just a chaise lounge in it. Yeah, that they just walk through and over but never hang out in. And, like, their bedrooms are really elaborate. But, like, where's the TV room? You know what I mean? <laughs> and you mentioned the koala bear shirt. And I think that it's a really intentional juxtaposition that Cecile is very much living in the present. She's not living in the period that they intentionally right. set the film. And even when you go to Cecile's home, it's hyper-modern. Everything is glass and mm -hmm. stone. And she's in like, you can see she has dolls everywhere and she has like shirts and TVs and stuff. So although she's a member of high society, I think our takeaway as audience is like, oh, they have no taste. Yeah, maybe the Valmonts are old money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like They've been rich for as long as they can trace their lineage back. They're vampires. Like, they are the Cullens. <laughs> like, I cannot so right. stress, like, they're going to graduate high school and then go join the Volturi. For sure. They, like, drink blood. They don't Definitely. even need to, but they just do it for fun. Like, out of little tiny, like, martini glasses. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite parts of the movie where Bunny, played by Christine Bransky, asked Catherine, where do you get your strength? And Catherine says, whenever I feel the temptation of peer pressure, I turn to God and he helps me through. And she, like, gestures to her rosary. That is such a good set piece. So cunt. And then Bunny and Cecile leave and they start doing coke out of the rosary. Insanity. Buckle up. That is just the starting point, you guys. So we learn very quickly that these step-siblings' parents are nowhere to be found and there's no sign that they're even coming back. And we get this like noticeable tension between the two. Mm. Basically, anytime they're alone together, they're like dry humping. Mm-hmm. And that's where this starts. And while they're dry humping, Catherine tells Sebastian that she has a mission for him to ruin the reputation of Court Reynolds, her ex-boyfriend. And Sebastian says, you mean the Nazi that dumped you over Fourth of July weekend? <laughs> Which is just a, an incredible line. Thank you. Uh, and Court has fallen for Cecile, Selma Blair, in the koala t-shirt because she is so desirable. How? Like, this girl can't talk to any person, much less a man. And, like, what man would leave Sarah Michelle Gellar for—I mean, whatever. That's, like, one of the themes of the film, like, virginity and upholdenness and high morals and purity or whatever versus, like, the used— overused sex objects, but, like... The men in this high society prefer someone be pure than, like, be intelligent. Right. Mm -hmm. Selma Blair is... She's just not there yet. <laughs> she might not ever get there. Uh, like, she's still in eighth grade. <laughs> she is not, listener. She is as mentally, old as these other people. Mentally. She's wearing a koala bear t-shirt with, like, her name spray-painted on the back. I swear, <laughs> you get these at Destin. In the mall. Yeah. So... Catherine says, when I get done with Cecile, she'll be the premier tramp of the New York area. You better work. Good so, goal. Sebastian says he can't because sleeping with Cecile would be too easy. He says his challenge is actually to go after Annette Hargrove, who's played by Reese Witherspoon, a well-to-do wealthy virgin who has sworn to wait till marriage. She's like the poster child for abstinence. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she's like blonde and like sparkly and like brand new. Perfect casting. Incredible casting. Because she's smart. She's smart. And you could see why this and then election following this really, like, mm -hmm. solidified this type for Reese Witherspoon. Catherine says, but she has a boyfriend named Trevor. And Sebastian says, Trevor's a fag. <laughs> Trevor's having sex with men's in Europe on his backpack. Yeah. Trip. I'm like, wow, he's in Europe. Okay. 
dating in Europe. It's always a little sketch. And so Sebastian goes to write in his journal. Catherine says, oh, gee, your journal, can you be more queer? He's like, can you be more anxious to read it? <laughs> Cunt. Part of me in the very beginning of this film was like, this is, is he either like gay and like having to overprove his heterosexuality by having sex with all these women or, or like heavily pursuing all these women? You know, as the film went on, I was like, I feel like he has sex with men. Yeah, well, this is what I was saying with the subtext. Like, they're so openly sexual that it allows them to kind of not be so pent up by the need to appear hyper-masculine. Right. Like, he, like, eats little maraschino cherries and writes in his journal before he goes to sleep. Right, and, and is still, like, alpha male over this, like, football dude that he coerces into giving him information and the football dude just like totally like bows down to him yeah you're so right Catherine then offers a wager if sebastian doesn't sleep with annette Catherine will get his car but if he does sleep with annette i'll give you something you've been obsessing about since our parents got married offering to have sex with him is that not obvious no that's obvious okay good good so Sebastian accepts the bet, and Sebastian heads straight to his Aunt Helen's, this rich old lady's house, where Annette Hargrove is visiting as well. And Annette and Sebastian meet. Sebastian tells Annette that he finds her manifesto appalling, saying, are you a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> and she says no. And he goes, I don't mean to offend you. I just picked up on a little bit of lesbian vibes. <laughs> this bitch. I like, you can't help but like him. He's a... A despicable person in the beginning, and he's just, everything he says, I'm like, I want to be like that. Yeah, I'm, and he doesn't mean it as a dick. He's like, oh, so you're a lesbian. Like, yeah. It's a matter <laughs> no, you're of right. Fact. It wasn't derogatory. He's like, oh, well, you must be a lesbian then. Mm -hmm. Expecting to get a rise out of her, but she also answers back very like, no, I'm not. Like, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like an offensive thing. <laughs> but Annette apparently knows about Sebastian's reputation, and she is not interested. And then we go to Blaine's house. Like I said, this character was the valet of Sebastian Valmont in the novel and very much is his little helper. Uh, Sebastian visits Blaine, who's played by Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Blaine is gay, obviously, with a name like Blaine. I think you have to be gay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Sebastian tells Blaine that someone has wrote a letter to Annette from Kansas, and they both believe it's a guy named McConnell, who's played by Eric Mabius, who you'll also recognize as Tim from The L Word. Oh, Jenny's boyfriend. In the beginning. Oh, God. He's like so all-American. It's red, white, and blue. Just crazy. Yeah, he's he's like made out of plastic. My old boss is friends with Eric Mabius, this actor. What? Okay. And he was telling me one day, like, it's weird because I see Eric Mabius and stuff, and he's just like my friend. And like we were out one time, and he was like, hey, yeah, I just don't know why they keep putting me in gay stuff. I mean, like, I don't even go out for those roles specifically, but I'm just always cast in gay stuff. Interesting. <laughs> he doesn't seem, I mean, maybe. He's got that appeal, the all-American thing that you're going for. It's a real good juxtaposition. And he's still kind of effeminate in a weird way. Like, he's very built, you know, obviously like a football player. But, like, you know, the quarterback was always going to be, like, the gayest on the team. You yeah. know what I mean? Because he's kind of, like, soft and, like, sensitive. He is soft, and his hair looks, like, really soft, and he's, like, very cute. Mm -hmm. And he apparently has had sexual relations with Blaine. And so Sebastian gets them in a dangerous liaison of sorts. <laughs> hey. And uh, in attempts to blackmail McConnell. So we'll see that take place later. But before we get to that, we get the classic scene in the park where Catherine takes the seal to talk about boys, and we get this scene. Never even gone to first base with a guy. Haven't you ever practiced on one of your girlfriends? Ew, no. It's gross. 
Well, it's not gross. How else do you think girls learn? Okay, face me. Now, close your eyes and wet your lips. Are you for real? You want to learn or not? I guess. that wasn't so scary. It was nothing. Okay, let's try it again. Only this time, I'm gonna stick my tongue in your mouth. And when I do that, I want you to massage my tongue with yours. And that's what first base is. Okay. Eyes closed. is porn step one wet your lips in 1999 this is explicit as porn can get in the theaters you know everyone in the audience of the theaters was like (laughs) everyone was rewinding to this part of the tape over and over yeah if you rented it from blockbuster the film would have (laughs) (laughs) it's like really thin in that part (laughs) lizzie please describe that scene so Sarah Michelle Geller and Selma Blair are on a picnic in Central Park. They're talking about boys. Sarah Michelle Geller is collecting intel. She finds out that Selma Blair has never been to first base. So she's like, well, let me just show you right quick. Mm-hmm. And like at this point, we know for certain that she is trying to take down Selma Blair at the knees and like make her basically the most infamous slut in the area. Mm-hmm. But she like... <laughs> But the context of this scene is really, like, straightforward and matter-of-fact and probably really helpful. <laughs> and, you know, and in late, there's a later scene where Sebastian, like, engages sexually with Selma Blair but without consent. Where, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar is, like, clearly asking for consent in this moment. Which is ironic because she's supposed to be the more evil character. Yeah. But she doesn't treat her like shit in this moment. Which is weird. Like, it feels like this should be more pushy, but she's very much like, this is what it says. This is how you do it. You want to learn or not? Yeah, it's like downright instructional. It seems very helpful. And as you're saying, both of the siblings have despicable motivations. Right. Uh, But if Catherine, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, wanted to destroy Cecile and make her out to be the slut of the area, which, I mean, it is her intention, she could just start a bunch of rumors. Right. Which would be impossible to deny. That would do... Exactly what she's setting out to do. But it almost feels important for her to make sure that Cecile, like, almost thinks they're her idea. Like, her own independent idea. Right. Or it's like, if you're in a duel and the other person, like, loses their sword or whatever, like, and you take a moment to, like, make sure that they still have their sword. Mm -hmm. It's like, she wanted her to be armed and, like, engaged in this battle. Like, she didn't want to just, like take her out because like Sebastian said it'd be too easy just to like undo her the simple way like she wants to go the full tapestry unraveling way yeah she wants to play with her food exactly exactly 
And uh, I love the scene. I don't even know why we described it because you listeners have probably seen it a thousand times. Yeah. So later at the rich aunt's house, we see the beginning of Sebastian and Annette's love story. I'm not going into it. It's boring as hell to me. Lizzie, if there's anything in their love story that stands out with you as I go through this film, please like call it out because I could actually give two shits. But one thing I do want to say is that Sebastian and Annette have incredible chemistry. Mm-hmm. And... They actually, Ryan Philippe and Reese Witherspoon got married after this. What? Mm-hmm. Oh. How long did that last? Actually, like, for a good amount of time. Oh, mm-hmm. what a cute couple. No, they're the most grounded characters in the film and probably the best actors. Like, I love the character of Catherine, but her character is so over the top that the performance of Sarah Michelle Gellar doesn't feel as grounded to me, whereas any scene with Ryan Philippe and... Reese Witherspoon. I'm like, this is just pretty decent scene acting between two people. And they do have a lot of chemistry. Even when she's making those insane Jim Carrey the mask faces at him in his little Mm two-seater, which I guess is the moment where they fall in love (laughs) or he falls in love with her. Their love story is as toxic as Bella and Edward, but a little bit less fun. A little bit less fun, to be sure. A ton less fun. And Ryan Phillippe has great chemistry in, in most of the movies I've ever seen him in. And I know what you did last summer. He is in a relationship with Sarah Michelle Gellar's mm-hmm. character. And they have a lot of chemistry together. It's like bad chemistry because they don't appear right. to like each other, but it's still very believable. Toxic chemistry. I just love that they keep getting paired up. It's like Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr. Well, it's like <laughs> Selma Blair later with Reese Witherspoon. I guess they had like next to no scenes together in this <laughs> film, but it's like they came together for Legally Blonde later. Yeah. Um. And it's like, I've like gotten the reverse uh, growth of Selma Blair because I saw Legally Blonde first, which is a very like straight role. And then I saw The Sweetest Thing, which is unhinged. And then I saw this film, which is just out of his fucking mind. So it's like, (laughs) I'm like uncovering the fact that she's kind of like a crazy out there actor that will make a fool of herself if she needs to. Yeah, she's she's not... Although she's like physically typed, she always looks exactly the same. She always has the same haircut. She Her characters do vary a lot across her career. So we love Selma Blair. Yeah, we do. We stand. Okay. So at Blaine's house, Sebastian snaps a pic of McConnell and Blaine in bed. And McConnell's begging him. He'll do anything to not expose this photo. And Sebastian says, can you imagine the humiliation your father will feel when he finds out his pride and joy is a fudge packer? Oh, okay. But like this scene is so hilarious because Sebastian shows up at their door, just like walks into the room and there's no like shout of surprise. It's just like a, oh shit, hand me my underwear. Like, <laughs> and sounds like they're getting caught by the cops. It's like, oh, he got us. They, he makes no attempt to like hide his face while Sebastian's taking his photo or like grab the camera or he's huge. He could beat up Sebastian if he wanted to, but makes no attempt to do that because he knows like, he just has to like take it easy now because if he fucked with Sebastian now, later the repercussions would be so much worse. Yeah, there is no... If Sebastian wants something from you, he's getting it. Right. And you just have to just accept that fate of yours. He's like, oh, fuck. Okay, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to do? Oh, God damn it. Yeah, and so McConnell is not the person who's been telling Annette all this bad stuff about Sebastian, but nonetheless, he will be helping. So McConnell puts a good word in for Sebastian with Annette and also tells Sebastian that it was Bunny, Cecile's mother, who has been bad-mouthing Sebastian. Do I need to break that down? Um, It made a lot of sense. I just don't know who any of those people are. The only thing that you need to know is that Sebastian 
now is more interested in messing with Cecile mm. because Cecile's mother is messing Christine with him. Christine Bransky is messing with him. Mm-hmm. So that reignites his interest in Catherine's scheme to ruin Cecile. Right. Because he's like, at first he was like, it's too easy. And now he's like, fuck it, I'll, I'll ruin her life. I'll ruin two for one. <laughs> yeah, why not get them both? Yeah. At the Valmont house, Catherine hatches a new plan to take down Cecile. First, by ratting out her relationship with Ronald, her music tutor, played by Sean Patrick Thomas. Another person that they caught right in the most beautiful point in their career. This was right before Save the Last Dance. Oh, my God. Classic. This poor guy. <laughs> this poor fucking pawn. He was given no justice. I mean, he got a couple of great lines, and he gets sex with Sarah Michelle Gellar. But this character is just stepped on. To know this family is to get, like, used by this family. Trample. No, he signs up for it. Yeah, towards he the end, he really does. full well. <laughs> so the plan is to ruin Cecile's relationship, and then, secondly, Sebastian deflower Cecile uh, to get back at Cecile's mother for meddling in his affairs. And then, of course, while they're having this conversation, they're, like, dry humping because, like, just imagine that anytime they're speaking to each other. Yeah, blue balls are uh, just uh, flying. (laughs) As you're saying, poor Ronald, like, as soon as Cecile's mother finds out that Ronald is in a relationship with Cecile, Catherine says, I know, she's so young and he's so, and she goes, black. (laughs) You're like, oh, God. So we're just saying things out loud. I was going for it. No, Christine Baranski does not hide. Oh, no. Oh, no. So when she she forbids Ronald from seeing Cecile and she says, I got you off the streets and this is how you repay me. He's like, I live at like 58th and whatever, like a nice apartment. He's like pre-Juilliard. He's very rich independently. He goes, you got me off the streets. I live at 59th and Park. <laughs> so fucked. He keeps his head about it. It's very classy. He gets his like retort. It, You know, she's an idiot. It's still not like... <laughs> Just like, why, 90s? <laughs> why is the one person of color in this film tree? Oh, no. Don't forget the, like, Vietnamese oh. assistant, house yeah, person. Yeah, like, I, house. It's really unclear what she does. She just seems to work for Catherine, and Catherine is Vietnamese. Yeah, every person of what? color is the help. Like, yes. Cecile and her mother have, like, a housekeeper named, like, Margarita or something. Oh, yeah. Everybody's catching strays in yeah. this movie. I mean, at least... The white girl gets her demise in the end, I guess. So after this, at the Valmont house, Catherine and Sebastian give Ronald a forged letter from Cecile and are happily offering their services to help Cecile and Ronald keep their secret love affair from Cecile's mother. Not not sus, by the way, that two of the richest people you know are just like, how about we just keep your secret relationship? Poor Ronald. And he's like, okay. He's just like an innocent. He's just a musician. He just wants to write an opera about Martin Luther King. Leave this sweet man alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> We're seeing that as Sebastian spends time with Annette, he gets a little bit softer. His, his He's not so cruel with his intentions, if you will. Mm-hmm. And oh, Thank you. So he tells Catherine he's like becoming hesitant about this plan to ruin Cecile's life. And Catherine gives this incredible monologue stating, Mm-hmm. God forbid I exude confidence and enjoy sex. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. Now tell me, are you in or are you out? I live for this statement. The most relatable thing that has been said in the film up to this point. I'm like, you're doing the same shit, and you're somehow still the hero in this story? Like, she's doing the same thing, and she's definitely the villain. So... She's like, if I'm going to go full villain, I'm at least going to be 
like on top. Yeah. Sebastian is the protagonist and we're supposed to follow his character arc and like forgive him as a person where he starts off the film doing revenge porn and like posting pictures of someone naked without he their consent. He sexually assaults Cecile. That's a felony. Yeah. Understandably, that person is also a teenager. Right. No, this guy, like on paper, bad, 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 but he gets a full ass redemption arc. Mm-hmm. With, like, a love story and everything. And she gets sent to shit and loses her coke. It's just not fair. It is not fair. And it only gets worse from here, you guys. Don't worry. Yeah, she's kind of, like, telling you the end of the film, I guess, Mm -hmm. in a weird way. She's like, there's more eyes on me. There's more, like, I'm supposed to perform more than you. You can get away with it, but I can't Mm kind of thing. Yeah. Like, regardless of what you do, you are an attractive, straight, white man with wealth and status. You will always be remembered fondly. And this is very quickly followed up with the scene where Sebastian, like you said, plies Cecile with alcohol and then gives her oral sex without her consent. No, she's confused. And we're, I guess, in 1999, we're supposed to be okay with it because she, like, had an orgasm and she comes to terms with it later and, like, continues to have sex with Sebastian. But at first glance, like, it, especially in 2023, watching it again, it just does not feel kosher. Oh, no, it was not good. I mean, even in the context of this film, like, she has this conversation with um, Catherine later that's like, oh, and then I got all, like, bubbly or whatever. But, like, she starts out saying, like, it felt really icky. And I'm like... I just don't like that this is the context of this. And also, I don't feel necessarily that this serves Sebastian's intentions in any way. It was just like a weirdly cruel and horny thing for him to do to someone he doesn't even like in the slightest. Yeah. While he's trying to court this like straight A student, like that didn't quite fit into like his trajectory of his arc. Yeah. And not to excuse either of their crimes, but... It seems like at least Catherine tries to enact revenge against specific, like, maybe that's not even true. So both of them, although they're not, like, blood-related, share Mm -hmm. so many commonalities. Like, Mm -hmm. for Catherine to hurt Court, she has to destroy Cecile. And you see that for Sebastian to hurt his therapist, he has to destroy the therapist's daughter. And for him to destroy Cecile's mother, he has to destroy Cecile. Cecile, right. I love revenge, but, like, do it on the person who deserves revenge, honestly. Right. Like, where's Cruel Intentions 2 where Reese Witherspoon serves it up to Sarah Michelle Gellar? There is a Cruel Intentions 2, but... What? Neither of those characters are in it. Oh, but they set it up to be, like, this revenge arc thing. Oh, I shouldn't say neither of those characters are in it. Those actresses are not in it. Oh, I have not seen the second or the third film that follow this. There's really a Cruel Intentions 2 and Cruel Intentions 3? Mm Mm-hmm. And they're called Cruel Intentions 2 and Cruel... What? Mm Mm-hmm. Don't worry, I won't make you watch those. Please don't make me watch those. (laughs) Patrons, please. Yeah, our patrons are like, you got another thing coming. uh, uh. So after this, Cecile, like... I guess, leans into this, like, tutoring sexual relationship with Sebastian, and it's implied that they, like, go all the way. Like, she is deflowered. Yeah, and then he throws her off the bed. And, like, (laughs) this really, like, Looney Tunes moment. She's funny. She's so physically funny If it wasn't, like, sad that she was, like, getting taken advantage of and put down all the time, like, her physical comedy is really great. It's very, very good. So in the background, I haven't been talking about Sebastian and Annette because, like I said, it's very boring. But she finally lets her walls down and agrees to have sex with him, but he can't do it. Mm -hmm. Like when the opportunity presents itself, he like gets overwhelmed with emotion and runs away. And obviously this is incredibly embarrassing for her because 
he's been like goading her into the sect act. And then like when she finally relents, he's like, eh, never mind. Yeah, it runs away like a little baby. Like a little bitch. And to her, it's just like, oh, I was a conquest. You wanted to see if I would have sex with you. Oh, yeah. There was a really great moment in this scene that kind of stood out in the film. And it's like intimacy being different than I think what a lot of the other sexual moments of the film show. But it's where Annette has like locked the door, agreed she's going to have sex with Sebastian, like leans back on the bed and undoes two of the buttons on her shirt and kind of like waits there like to let him make the next move. And there's just this moment where they're like staring in each other's eyes and it's like really elongated in comparison to the sharpness and the quick wit of most of the scenes in the film. Mm -hmm. And she just looks so vulnerable and you can, really can see like the the things ticking behind Sebastian's eyes of like, he's like, whoa, what are these feelings? And it is very like cheesy because he's like, I have to go mm -hmm. and like runs off. But um, that scene really stuck with me because I was like, oh shit, like he's like feeling feelings. And they're different than the feelings he feels for Catherine. Yeah. And this is the first moment in the film where we see our characters engage in a sex act that would not be for the motivation of manipulating others. Right. Like making love. Yeah. Like having sex just to enjoy each other. Yeah. And it like have consequences too. Because mm -hmm. it feels like with Cecile, he'll just like do it and doesn't give a shit. doesn't even like affect his day. But with this one, you can definitely feel, like, the looming sense of choice and consequences that they do choose to do. And he ultimately decides to run away from in that scene. Yeah. So he runs away and then Annette runs away and then he chases <laughs> Annette to New York City and he tells Annette that he's in love with her. And they have missionary sex. I skip that scene so often. It's just a little too much for it me. It gives, like, Top Gun... <laughs> sex heterosex realness yeah it's i know it's supposed to be meaningful and it's the only sex that we really actually see and i yeah. just don't want to see it actually he's like are you okay <laughs> <laughs> if any young person in the 90s was watching this for training on their own sexuality and their own sex lives they were sol <laughs> this is not realistic you guys no it's not enough to be like are you okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh god Ugh, I don't like it. Uh, after this, Sebastian returns home and Catherine attempts to sleep with Sebastian because, you know, he won the bet, but he rebuffs her. And this angers Catherine deeply as she's realizing she's losing her grasp on Sebastian. And she says, you're in love with her and you don't love me anymore. And then Catherine threatens to tell Annette's father, their soon-to-be headmaster, about Sebastian's reputation. And then you're like, oh my, they're in high school? <laughs> you're like, what the the fuck they're doing coke <laughs> they're driving full-ass cars <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you have to suspend your disbelief a lot with this film yeah so instead of telling annette the truth he breaks up with her in hopes of sparing her reputation uh, yeah i didn't buy it but i understand the trope i cannot stress how little i give a shit about sebastian and annette <laughs> I have to, I like skip all of those scenes. I couldn't care less. So Lizzie is the ambassador like, for that relationship. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll speak to those blondes. <laughs> those blondes. They are weirdly super blonde. Yeah. Uh, men shouldn't be blonde. That's my take. What? <laughs> that's an insane take. That's not even a hot take. That's just like a, we don't need that take. Why are you taking what that? What business do they have? What business? Um. At the Valmont house, Sebastian tells Catherine that he set Cecile and Ronald up and that they're content. So he basically, like, 
solves that little problem for everyone. They're out of the way. And Sebastian and Catherine begin to celebrate, and he presumes that they're going to consummate their wager. But they toast to her triumph, and she tells him that her triumph wasn't over Annette, but over Sebastian. You gave up on the only person you've ever loved because I threatened your reputation. You're just a toy, Sebastian, and now you've blown it with her. Cheers. It's just like, I just don't think that like it was high risk enough for him to be like, oh, well, if she finds out about me without me telling her, then she's going to hate me. So let me just break up with her. It's like, this Annette is smart. Like, Annette... Mm -hmm. If she sniffed out Sebastian's reputation, she sure as fuck sniffed out his stepsister's reputation and mm -hmm. would know to take that with a grain of salt. So I don't know if it shows, like, his lack of trust and, like, emotional naivete that he doesn't know to call Catherine on her bluff or know that that wouldn't work with Annette. But just to say, like, oh, well, I guess I have to break up with her. Like, there was no risk. So why end it all for that? They both have the same outcome, telling her the truth, she would leave you. Breaking up with her, you guys are over. Right. So, so you might as well try. It was just like a little bit of unnecessary plot device towards the end there. So, of course, he hears this from Catherine, is like demolished, mm -hmm. and Annette will, will no longer see him. So he sends her his journal with a message reading, Enclosed is my most prized possession. If you really want to know the truth, please read it. No more lies. My burn book. So gay. Like, so cunt. It really is. Come it has on. like little drawings inside and like it's little like a, photos. It's like a zine. It's a zine. I want to read that so bad. I want to read it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It looks awesome and like super juicy. So Catherine calls up Ronald and tells Ronald, this poor man, please leave him alone. Leave Ronald alone. He tells Ronald that Sebastian hit her and had sex with Cecile. So Ronald finds Okay, she calls him at night. He's like, I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. The next scene where he's on his way, it is like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what have you been doing for eight hours, Ronald? I <laughs> thought you were taking this seriously. He's just been stomping <laughs> around New York looking for Sebastian. For like right. New York City. New York City. <laughs> so Ronald's stomping around for a while and find Sebastian in the park and they begin fighting. And Annette, who for some reason was nearby watching all this, attempts to break up the fight, but is thrown into oncoming traffic. <laughs> this really seems like fanfic. And before she can be hit, Sebastian throws her out of the way and is hit by a car. This is Twilight. <laughs> uh, well, it's not Twilight because he's hit by a fucking taxi going five miles per hour and then dies. And dies slowly in the street? From what? <laughs> what injury would cause that? They put so much into this movie that has, like, no need being in it. And it's like, you can't show us why he would die? It, it was, like, so unbelievable that I thought for sure it was going to be, like, a jump scare at the end where he's like, ha, Catherine, I didn't die. And mm -hmm. here's your book and the cocaine and you're exposed and me and my girl are going to ride off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. And only like half of that happened. Yeah. It was so, I laughed out loud. I remember that specifically the first time I watched this movie. I was like, oh, so he's just dead. <laughs> That's what it, I put that in my notes. I was like, dead? Question mark? Exclamation point? Just dead. Lee, did that bother you at all? Yeah, at a certain point, I did, like Lizzie, I was kind of expecting when Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, runs out, he was going to be waiting outside with all the people reading his diary or whatever, but uh, I turned to my partner, I was like, oh, so wait, he, he actually really did die. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, is he actually dead? No, that would have been <laughs> such a better ending if he was out there, like, holding a stack of books and, yeah. like, served her one. That would be everything. That would that would really have had me gagged and gooped. But, no, he's just fucking dead. He just dies. <laughs> and we're supposed to see him as, like, a hero. Okay, so at the funeral, because, yeah, why not? He's dead. <laughs> Catherine and Annette finally meet in the bathroom while Annette is doing coke. Obviously, it's a funeral. Who doesn't do that? <laughs> and as Catherine afterwards is delivering her speech, a compilation of his journal entries has been dispersed throughout the student body. And it's just like the burn book, bitch. Mm-hmm. And everybody is gagged and gooped. And, and frowning. And frowning. And they're all mad at Catherine. And we're just understand that her life is over yeah she's going to jail question mark who knows she's expelled for (laughs) sure she lost her cool rosary thing yeah she's yeah her headmaster found the coke in her rosary this is just her origin story if y'all don't think she's not coming back richer and evil and with less empathy than before y'all are wrong sadly mistaken and we see annette driving away in the car which i guess is supposed to be that closure loop for the audience but like how would she have gotten that? He could not have had a will at like 17 years old. No, that's what I old. thought. I was like, oh, so she was in his will or she just stole that car from the Valmont? <laughs> so she's just, just stealing cars now. She went from like purity to like I'm a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> like arson. Wait, what is it? Uh, Larson? Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. And like as Lizzie was saying earlier, like Sebastian can get away with everything he does twice as bad as Catherine and like you're saying everybody goes to his funeral and they're like what a sweet man oh it's so sad he's passed away you're definitely supposed to be like oh no Sebastian's gone he died this hero's thing because he pushed the person he loved out of the way of a car it's like yeah who wouldn't do that like (laughs) he should have done that he was the reason she was there in the first place totally and he was the reason that Ronald was upset with him understandably yeah leave Ronald if Ronald got any fucking flack for this or jail time or if had if he had to appear in court unacceptable no leave ronald alone he is just trying to help he is just trying to write his opera about martin luther king jr which is a great idea by the way if that has not been done i would love to see that roger kimball's not allowed to write it direct it (laughs) attend but we love it as a just like so you guys can get that this was always the intention that Catherine would be uh, assassinated societally, if you want to consider it that way. Uh, in the novel, the ending is as such. The letters are sufficient to ruin her reputation, so she flees to the countryside, after which she contracts smallpox. Her face is left permanently scarred, and she is rendered blind in one eye. So she loses her greatest asset, her beauty. Desperate with guilt and grief, she succumbs to fever and dies. Her greatest asset was never her beauty, first of all. It's her, like, absolute ability to play everyone in her life like a violin she was slay like she She could have been slay slay blind she was yeah no she would have been more slay like what are we supposed to learn from this novel like don't be a messy cunt or like be that but like make sure you get away with it you better not have learned anything from this you guys this undid some morals i was been working on for decades i have to go relearn things (laughs) because of this movie like, how should I treat people? Like, how does sex work? Maraschino cherries can sustain you and give you abs? Like, why would you just have a bowl of maraschino cherries in your room? Like, the fruit flies would go fucking oh my crazy. God. You couldn't even leave them out for, like, 30 minutes. They're like, they sustain off of champagne and maraschino cherries. Yes. Only okay, the- wait, wait. Oh, we were, like, talking earlier, like, okay, if we were going to make a cocktail a la Cruel Intentions, what would it be? And I said... 
champagne with like three maraschino cherries and maybe like a shot of like brandy or like mm-hmm. really expensive brandy, mm-hmm. but like with a, a rim of cocaine <laughs> and just a little, the cruel intention. You know how you like lick salt before you take a tequila shot? <laughs> you have to lick some cocaine. Wait. Chase it with like a vodka Red Bull. Hell yeah. That's absolutely this movie. Yum. All right. On to the reception. Okay. With a budget of $10.5 million, it went on to earn $75.9 million at the box office alone. Jesus Fuck. And not to mention those people who are jacking off to it when they rented it from Blockbuster. And the five fucking dollars I paid YouTube to watch that shit yesterday. <laughs> it received mixed critical reviews with critics split over the sexuality of the film. Some considered the debauchery of the film's plot as exploitative, while others praised the film for its titillating nature. Roger Ebert praised the film, calling it smart and merciless in the tradition of the original story. No comment. I mean... He hit the nail on the head, I guess. I can't believe, like, what is Roger Ebert's favorite movie? I could not even, like, it's probably fucking Hairspray. <laughs> like, what is it? What's his comfort movie? Right. Yeah. It's probably like Schindler's List or something really sad. <laughs> like, comfort movie. <laughs> Sophie's Choice. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so, like I mentioned, it was followed by Cruel Intentions 2 and Cruel Intentions 3, which received neither critical or financial success. Uh, They're both regarded very poorly. But also there was a Cruel Intentions show that was meant to be released in 2016. And Hmm. the pilot exists. Like it was shot and it exists. It's very difficult to find. I had to watch it by like watching someone react to it in the background. Like I couldn't Mm. even find the full thing. And um, it was expected to debut in 2016, but MDC opted not to buy the series. The pilot was directed and co-written by Cumble, and it was set 17 years after the events of the film. As we see Bash Cassie, son of Sebastian Valmont and Annette Hargrove, as he discovers his late father's journal. Upon discovering this, he is thrown into a world of lies, sex, and power. The potential series included the character of Catherine Bash's step-aunt, who would try to gain power of the Valmont International Company. So it's like secession meets porn. Yes. And the only original cast member they retained was Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's the only one you need? And she is, you guys, it is so hard to watch. I do not recommend you going and finding that. Um, Roger Kimball was like, I'm not finished with this universe. (laughs) Picked it up and was like, I am finished with this universe. Wait, isn't this... When was the Me Too movement? Like 2017? The pilot is like so cringe. They talk about Trump a lot because it's 2016. This is not what we needed at the height of the Me Too movement. It is so hilariously bad. Like if you guys like bad stuff, I would recommend it. But if you want it to be like Cruel Intentions, I would not recommend it at all. It is hysterically bad. I like split my side. It was... So like, I spit my Coke everywhere. <laughs> Could even enjoy my Coke Prosecco cherry concoction. <laughs> well, I'm gooped. $75 million. You know what I mean? Like, Scott Pilgrim over here not making a dime, but I guess if Cruel Intentions is going to make so many people millionaires, like, work. I don't know. People just wanted softcore porn, and they got it. They did. With stars and outfits and, like, little black turtlenecks and... Oh, Yeah. Blowouts and everything you could possibly need. Now to the scores. Lizzie, do you want to explain how the score works? So how the subtextual score works is we each rate the film on a scale of 1 to 10 for how gay the movie is and how good the movie is. We then average those scores together to get a single subtextual score. Lizzie, how good is this movie? 
This movie is like a five. Ah, okay. Sam, how good is this movie? Six. Ooh. I like it. I know I talk shit, but I would watch it again for sure. <laughs> I'm definitely watching this again. Lizzie, how gay is this movie? Oh, it's uh, only kind of gay. There's a gay character of four. Sam, how gay is this movie? Four and a half. All right, Sam, what do the numbers say? This film has an overall subtextual score of 4.88. Middle of the road. Yeah, it's certainly a stinker, folks, but it did not break our bottom five. One among many of all the films we're going to cover about siblings wanting to kiss each other. I can think of at least two. I can think of two. <laughs> I can think of three, actually. Have you seen August Osage County? No. Siblings kiss? It's complicated. All right, Lizzie, any final thoughts? Is the scene where she's making those fucking faces when he decides he falls in love with this blondie? Yeah, that scene where Reese Witherspoon is like, can you smile? And he's like, I can't smile physically. And she's like, she shows her little teeth and she like makes what's supposed to be like a hilarious face. And it's he's just like, like kind of terrifying. <laughs> Never do this to anyone, you guys. Never make these faces at anyone, especially while they're driving. People could get hurt. Stop, Lizzie. Stop, Lizzie.